Insights, solutions, and networking all come together at RSA Conference. Join a global cybersecurity community at rsaconference.com forward slash ITSP MAG24. Welcome to the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Welcome to ITSP Magazine. You're listening to a new Redefining Security podcast. Have you ever thought that we are selling cybersecurity insincerely, buying it indiscriminately, and deploying it ineffectively? Perhaps we are. So let's look at how we can organize a successful InfoSec program that integrates people, process, technology, and culture to drive growth and protect business value. Knowledge is power, now more than ever. And just, we are live here on ITSP Magazine with uh, good friends, old and new. Great to see many familiar faces and uh, a, a new face. And I think everybody kind of knows each other from uh, the, the, the medias, the socials, if you will. Uh, thanks for everybody for joining us live today for a new Redefining Security episode. Uh, special edition. We don't really don't go live. We normally don't do video. We just dig in on uh, on audio podcast. But I want to do more of this, and uh, I think not necessarily event driven. Hopefully not event driven like today's episode is about. But when important things come together, we need to talk about it. And today is no fud, no BS, straight shooting. What's going on with Log Four J or Log J Four, as I like to fat finger it when I'm typing. But um, <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a quick second and set the stage because I actually wrote a piece about this back when I used to write uh, for Tech Target back in the day when I wrote for them and uh, as, a, as an independent journalist, if you will, back in 2013. And I, I was looking at mobile security and app security and, and I watched a bunch of sessions at RSA conference and interviewed a bunch of people and, and uh, like Folks like uh, Chris Eng and the late Howard Schmidt, Eric Scalb, Jeff Williams, Duna Dezovi, and, and then Twitter researcher Charlie Miller. I put this article together, and, and in there was a report. And in that report were some stats about reuse or open sourced libraries. And there was one that topped the list. <laughs> Can you imagine which one it was? <laughs> Log4j. So this is something, and, and we were talking offline before we started that, I mean, this is nobody thought logging and logging libraries would be an issue, right? But it's become an issue. So uh, I'm thrilled today to have this conversation. We're getting to get into what's happened. Why does this matter? Where's, where's the overhype? Is there overhype? What do we learn from all this? And I have Katie Nichols joining director of intelligence, at red canary sand certified instructor and former principal cybersecurity engineer at MITRE. Welcome Katie. We have Alyssa Miller, business information security officer at S&P Global Ratings, and also the co-host of the Compromise podcast here on ICSP Magazine. Welcome, Alyssa. Eric Thomas, Information Security Analyst, SecOps Cloud Security at HT Supply, and he's also a cybersecurity instructor at Cover 6 Solutions. And last but certainly not least, Mark Nunnenkoven, Distinguished Cloud, cloud maybe Cloud, I don't know, but Cloud Strategist at Laced Work. So welcome, Mark. Uh, that was a mouthful introducing everybody. Here we are, right? Here we are. We are. Are we? Are we showing our uh, our week behind us uh, in in our smiles? You see these graves? <laughs> yes. Somewhere, somewhere, yeah. Some somewhere are the are the uh, the wrinkles and and the frowns. But uh, all right, I'm going to kick this into gear for folks watching and listening live. Uh, feel free to comment. We're on YouTube and Twitter and Facebook. If you want, if you want to be there and uh, LinkedIn as well. Some of those we can engage more better, uh, better than others. Um, YouTube is pretty good for that. Uh, feel free to throw up some comments or questions. Uh, we'll, we'll kind of pay attention to that. Alyssa, I'm, I'm gonna start with you. Uh, as, as, as somebody who, you, you have a unique, unique title. It's one that's growing in popularity, but it's business focused. So I, I wanna start with how do you as a business leader handle what's been going on 
and maybe maybe your perspective of this last week with Log4j and what, what's happened. And I'm going to hear from kind of everybody's perspective on this, but I want to start at the business level. Yeah. So, I mean, it's been interesting uh, to say the least, um, partially because, you know, trying to be in a, you know, that connection to the business now, trying to sell to them the criticality of this when they're used to hearing security tell them everything's a fire, right? Um, you know, trying to come to them with a credible story to undo the sins of the past, if you will. Um, because I, I mean, I'm this role within my organization is very new. I'm just coming up on one year. So they're still kind of learning how I operate and stuff. But I, I, I told a number of them on the call. I said, look, you know me. I don't typically come at you with a bunch of fear and, and scare tactics and things like this one has me scared. Like, this is really a big deal. Um, just like you mentioned early on, Sean, just knowing the prevalence of Log4j, I saw something from my my buddies at Sneak uh, just a day or two ago that from you know their research, 90% of Java projects are using Log4j. Um, that's a big deal. And so, you know, that's been a real big challenge because it was, how do I spin these people up, get them to, to understand and give us the right level of focus and criticality to this without it becoming just another case of InfoSec FUD? And so, I mean, that, that alone has been significant challenge. The other thing that's really been challenging and trying to, to temper it with them is it, there is a lot of frustration because the story keeps changing, right? First, it was, you know, I mean, just the versions of Log4j that you need to have. First, it was 2.15, then it was 2.15b, then now it was 2.16, and now we're already hearing 2.17 is coming. And so, you know, they're in there trying, they're, they're doing the thing, they, they react well, they're, they're fixing things. And then it's like, whoa, you know, here we go again. So that side of it has been tough. Now, the last thing I'll say on, on this question, and I'll shut up and let other people talk, is some of the we did have some cool stuff that really helped us from the security side. Like we have an SCA tool in place. And so when this started coming up Friday, it was great to be able to go to that SCA tool, run a report and say, guys, this is everywhere. You've got log4j in our environment. This is what we need to take care of. And here's how you prioritize it. You know, let, let's start with these because they're internet accessible and blah, 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 blah. You know, we had our, all of our, our uh, criteria there. Um, and so for those of you that don't know, because I realize I'm tossing around, you know, security acronyms like we always do, SCA, uh, Software Composition Analysis. So the aforementioned sneak, white source, uh, there's a few others out there that do it too, just, you know, that will scan your, your, your software repos, identify the full dependency tree, all your dependencies down through all layers of nesting. So your dependencies of dependencies of dependencies get identified. And then not only find the vulnerabilities in that moment, but then keep that and alert you to new vulnerabilities. Um, you also hear people talk about SBOM or software bill of materials. This is how you can build that software bill of materials in your own environment with code you've developed is having a tool like that. So, so I will say like, you know, that alone was one thing that was really great to be able to show the value of one of those things that security kind of said, you know, you, you all have to have, well, here's a case where it made our lives a whole lot easier because we didn't have to go hunting for log4j in our environment. Eric, I'm going to, I'm going to turn to you because before we started, you mentioned we know how to deal with the bad, you said bad guys, bad guys and gals, right? But not necessarily something like this. And, and I always have the question, how, how much can we actually prepare for this? Do, do we, can we build an SBAM and, and an inventory, all this stuff before it becomes a problem and, and, is it possible to, to allocate some risk level to those things? Or do we have to wait for an event to then say this is a problem? What's reality? Uh, yeah. So like I said, we, we, the, well, I'll go to the first question. Uh, 
we we do have processes in place, uh, especially from, uh, you know, a SecOps perspective uh, where we're, you know, we're right there in it, right? We have these processes in place. We have incidents response processes, have all of these different processes to deal with, uh, you know, adversarial behavior and analyze adversarial behavior. Uh, it's an especially... Um, I guess a significant circumstance for security professionals all over, but especially in SecOps when uh, one of the tools in the stack is or, or you know, or these systems uh, that you depend on every day is, is the vulnerability, is the weakness itself. Right. And <laughs> we were joking about it before, but it's like logging. Right. Like as security professionals, what are we always talking about? Logging. Right. It's like the building's on fire. Save the logs. <laughs> you know, like, you know, um, and so it's one of those things. Um, but I think to Alyssa's point, the way we prepare is, um, you know, this is a, this is me sort of taking off my SecOps hat and putting on my, you know, uh, security business and risk hat here. Um, asset management, right? Knowing what we have. Uh, unfortunately, I talk to a lot of my peers and friends across the industry. Uh, and, you know, for lack of a better term, they were screwed. Just because it's like we don't know what's running on these servers. I mean, you know, uh, and when you're in a in a huge environment, right? We talk about our environment; it's huge. If you don't know, you know, what servers are, are potentially vulnerable for this, right? Um, you could be, you you know, there are people still working on inventorying right now, right? Just to find out, like uh, like Alyssa said, everybody's first priority was what's touching the internet. Let's let's get to that as soon as we possibly can. If Even if we, uh, I had a buddy of mine who had to do it manually. They literally went through every server that was touching the internet uh, because uh, they're, they're in the process of onboarding Seam, so they don't have it yet. But asset management is, uh, and that's software assets, hardware assets, and understanding uh, the environment. And, and Sean, you and I have talked before, like even as an analyst about how important it is to know your environment and to know, uh, one, of, one, of, one of my, um, one of the guys on our team found this because we knew what was in our environment and we were fortunate enough to have pretty decent asset management. Uh, we work closely with our IT department and our IT teams. Um, in some organization, it's just not that way. Alyssa, Alyssa alluded to it earlier. In some organization, um, <laughs> InfoSec is the no crew, right? Nobody wants to work with InfoSec, not even other technical professionals and certainly not the developers who, uh, you know, I don't think we talk about enough in this conversation. Uh, certainly not the developer. They never want to work with InfoSec. Um, so we were fortunate enough to have, um, I think that one of the things going forward that makes, that prepares us for this is building relationships across technical disciplines. Uh, you know, all of your technical teams having a working relationship uh, from your InfoSec people to your network people to, you know, to your devs, Um you know, and and I <laughs> publicly on Twitter give give the devs a lot of grief about you know throwing out insecure code. But you know, I had to call a few of my dev friends and say, "Hey, man, how how you doing? <laughs> how you doing?" And they're like, "Me? <laughs> what about you?" Uh, but yeah, we have to we have to have this communication across the aisle and um, asset management, asset management, asset management. Uh, we don't talk about it enough. Um, we don't talk about it enough. I, 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 it's in that same bucket with uh, availability and site reliability, right? It's, it's one of those things security people don't really want to talk about, uh, but it's essential in situations like these. Nice. And I'm going to go to Katie, and everybody can jump here in a second, but uh, Katie, you first. Uh, your perspective of the last few days is, I mean, you you have a lot of experience in different areas, and you get to see a lot of things, and I think everybody here interacts with Eric just mentioned it with, with their peers and their friends and their foes on social media. Um, but you get a nice perspective across the board, companies large and small, individuals dealing with this thing. Um, your personal perspective and maybe maybe a recap of some of the things you've encountered as you've engaged with some of the other folks. Yeah, absolutely. I'm happy to. And uh, thanks for having me here. Great to be here with you all. Been a long week. I can't believe it's been a week since this uh, first was disclosed. Over a week now, I guess. Um, a couple things. First off, I would agree with everyone. This is incredibly serious. Um, but I think some of what I'm learning is that uh, the InfoSec community, when we have something like this, sometimes I think we enjoy panicking a little bit too much. Um, panicking doesn't really help anything here. Um, and so I think I've seen a lot of panicking and churning and people feeling like maybe 
because this is a big deal, they have to panic. And if they don't panic, they're not responding correctly. Um, that is not a necessary part of the incident response cycle. That said, I certainly understand it. This is widespread. Um, I would say if there's any silver lining right now, it's that honestly, based on myself and all the people that I'm constantly trying to keep up with and talk to across the community, is that honestly, the post-exploitation activity has not been that bad when compared to some other major vulnerabilities. Um, so compared to like Microsoft Exchange, that major vulnerability in March, that was pretty nasty. There were web shells a lot of places. And I'd be curious in others' perspectives on this as well. Um, from my perspective and those who I'm talking to, sure, adversaries are exploiting this. Coin miners, right? We saw some attempts to deploy ransomware, some limited ransomware activity on Minecraft servers, right? Microsoft's Threat Intelligence Center talked about that. But I think the good news is that maybe the threats haven't started exploiting this in mass. Um, so the impact isn't as bad as we fear it could get, which is a good thing because it gives us all time to get patched, to catch up, to mitigate when we can't. Um, the other thing that I would say, you know, you kind of talked and asked about, could we prepare for this? And absolutely, right? Everyone should have incident response plans. We talked about SBOM, Software Bill of Materials, and uh, Katie Masaurus, another Twitter friend and colleague, um, she said she was watching, and I should give credit to her. She kind of helped me adjust my thinking in that, right, Software Bill of Materials are helpful, but maybe before that, and Alyssa made the same point, maybe we just need some kind of inventory. But what I would say is think about, right, solar winds. That was almost a year ago. It's been a long year. We talked about S-bombs and inventory after that. And what I would offer is that it's so easy for all of us to say, just keep your stuff updated. Make sure you have an inventory. Sometimes the basics are not easy. And I think that's what we're discovering is that as much as we at security professionals say these things are so important, having an inventory, patching, have an incident response plan, that stuff isn't easy. And so I'm sort of left with, right, when we're through this, figuring out how do we help people do these basics that are so foundational, maybe in a better way. And Mark, your, your perspective, and I'm going to ask you to kind of point this in a direction of line of business owners, engineers, mm -hmm. people playing around, they spin stuff up in the cloud, they launch new apps that, that are fun and, and skunk works that turn into real things. How do we how do we manage that in in parallel to what the others have said, where you can't panic, right? So there's stuff yeah. out there we don't know about, regardless. So how, how do we ba balance those two things? Definitely, yeah. And, and you know, uh, when Katie said that you know we need to focus on the on the basics uh, more, uh, you know, and that I can't agree more, right? And I think that the problem is is that we in security love the zero day. Uh, we love the advanced attacks. We love that interesting stuff. But, you know, A, it's professionally interesting. But I think also it's an area where we have more control. Whereas asset inventory, working closely with the line of business, that's reliant on other teams outside of our own. And it takes consistent effort, consistent communication. It's a long haul to get there. And sometimes we just default to the easier, even though it's more technically complex. Um, and this rolls right into what you're, you're saying there, Sean, as far as people spinning up stuff in the cloud, um, you know, uh, just experiments, different off the, you know, different um, tools they're running, different open source stuff they're running. That's almost the best scenario, because as Alyssa was mentioning, you know, you can use the compositional analysis, you can scan your repos, you can check your templates, you know, you have a better chance of knowing what's running there through some automated techniques than what I've been dealing with this week, talking to a lot of people, some off the shelf stuff. A lot of um, IoT stuff, um, a lot of enterprise apps where they, when you talk to the business units, they're like, yeah, I run XYZ. And you're like, yeah, I'm not worried about that. I'm worried about what that's built on. And so even if you get the uh, names of the tools these people are using, then you need to go do the research with the vendor to figure out, okay, you know, what is there? Or you need to try to scan it. So I'll give you a concrete example. I was talking to a friend of mine who's in um, bioinformatics. And all of their lab equipment, all this big sequencing stuff, you know, half a million dollar machines, they're just Windows boxes, you know, with, with a bunch of other cool stuff attached to them. But a ton of this stuff is written in Java. And surprise, surprise, it's all got Log4J built into it. But nobody can touch that box because it's under a maintenance contract. You can't, they don't have admin access to any of this stuff. So you can risk like hot patching it. Um, and you can try to put some mitigations around it. But it's, it's sort of this long tail that's really a huge challenge. Um, and, you know, I, I, I'm just 
reassured by what Katie said, because I know uh, we're seeing the same thing from our data, is that post-exploitation activity isn't that bad yet. It's mainly just finding out what's there. But this long tail is kind of scary because that won't hold up forever, right? Someone's going to figure out a way to leverage this into a much more significant uh, foothold. And we have to figure out how we can get to that other stuff to patch it um, and put other mitigations in place to protect the rest of the business. And that's just a lot of grunt work. Let's talk about that. And whoever wants to jump on this, and I'm sure all of you have some perspective here. Uh, so don't panic is what I'm hearing. It's easier said than done, right? Yeah, that, that assumes you have some first step in mind, whether it be the right one or not. Uh, what are what are those first steps? Because Alyssa, you mentioned it was what, I can't remember the numbers, 215 and then 215B and then 216. So, <laughs> yeah. so how, patching sucks in general. How do, how do you do it three times? And is that the last one even? So is that the right first step or is that some other mitigating controls or, well, or what, what is it? I mean, I, I can share what we did and it was definitely, it was, you take it and, and you have to, you know, it, it is that idea. Don't panic. You have to look at it systematically. You know, our, our look at it Friday was, what's the very first thing and quickest thing we can do that will reduce this risk. And so there were some, you know, mitigating controls we were able to quickly implement and we knew they wouldn't be perfect. I mean, and that's, that's a big concept that security misses. We have to understand nothing is perfect. You know, we talked about S bombs and stuff, your S bombs, your asset inventories, they're never going to be 100%. They're never going to be a replacement for, yeah, we're going to have to at some point search our environment to make sure we don't have this thing anywhere. We didn't see it. But, you know, when you come back with a big report of where, you know, for sure you have it, well, that gives you a place to start in the meantime. So I think it, it's having that methodology to just, first of all, say, all right, let's look at the things we can do right away. What do we have the technology in place to do? You know, for some people that might've been that they had, you know, WAF technology and they were able to get, you know, a lot of the WAF vendors, web application firewall vendors were able to provide you with immediate, you know, I know AWS had it, Akamai had it, a few others had it. Um, very quickly, they had signatures and they started updating them as variants came out. You know, so that was something that someone might have been able to do. For others, it might have been, hey, you know what? We don't have that in place, but we can control our proxy and we can shut down outbound traffic because we know this thing has to be able to connect to the Internet outbound in order to be effective. So where can we shut that down or severely limit that? Even if we can't turn it off completely, just turning off, you know, obviously LDAP going out would be a great one to shut off because hello, that was the first, you know, big exploit we saw was Jindy over with LDAP. So, you know, there are things there you can do, but it's just identifying what that is for some orgs. It might've been just, Hey, we got to shut off our internet connection. You know, if, if, if you're in a space where, yeah, maybe that's business expensive, but it's not going to like destroy you. Maybe that was what you had to do. Um, but it's looking at it. And then just have that plan of how do we progressively build out, you know, to use the buzz term defense in depth, right? And just keep adding to your defenses until ultimately you can do the, the primary mitigation, which is that code change in many cases to replace that library. Because um, you know that's going to take some time. So yeah. you know that it's different people that do each of those things in a lot of orgs. You got devs who are going to do that part, but you might have SRE or somebody who can manage those proxies or the WAF or whatever else. Yeah, so um, I, I like what you said there about just kind of, um, uh, kind of you know, patching you know or stopping the bleeding. Uh, from from an ops perspective, uh, our our first approach uh, is always right, uh, limiting the attack surface, right, and containment. So for, for I know for ops teams that was the primary mission. Uh, you know, after you know you had a lot of threat and once the threat intel teams, uh, you know validate okay hey this really is a thing because that's that's another thing right with threat intel uh katie said it security people panic so one of the first things we had to do was validate this thing right um you know uh and and luckily i i think i think uh and uh, Alyssa and katie and i follow a lot of the same people i think we may be on the fun side of security because i saw more memes than i saw panic which was really really cool um but security people are going to panic so you have your threat intel validate that this is something and you know they're they want to move quickly right uh and so 
you know, when we're talking active threat intel or an actor that may be active right now, you know, maybe maybe they'll give up, give, you know, give the thumbs up to go ahead and and start taking that IR action uh, at 70 percent versus 100 percent. If this is an active threat, if something that we think is active. Right. But once you do that, uh, you want to, first of all, get an get an assessment, an idea of what your attack surface is within your environment. This is where. I'm going to say it again. Maybe, maybe we can do like a drinking game every time I say asset management. But this is where it comes in, right? Um what what is our what is our, you know, threat landscape? Uh what's vulnerable? Do we know what's vulnerable? Um do we need to go with sort of a, a break glass approach? But uh for ops teams it was containment. I I can tell you uh for us this unfortunately uh that threat in, the threat intel came in around you know in the afternoon uh like around three or four on a friday you guys know what that means i don't have to say it because my boss may be watching but you, you know party, what that party means. time party <laughs> around three or four on a friday you know um everybody's you know and and then we get this and it's just like okay threat intel guys are still working i'm gonna get ready to head out soon and then it's just like you know then we get then you know then you see that that good old you just see that good old teams window comes open that you know that says p whatever and you're just like yep i'm done <laughs> um so but and so but for ops teams it was containment all the way and so i think going forward uh one of the lessons that ops teams in general can take away from this is you know how well uh, I want to make sure I say this the right way. Um, how well you're nurturing that relationship and communication uh, between other technical teams? Because for some people uh, that I saw responding to this, the language of it was a different, was a barrier, right? Uh, critical to the security team means this could be exploited. This this is an active vulnerability that there's no patch for right now, right? Critical to the networking team means outage. Critical to the business means the e-commerce site is down. We are we're not all sharing the same. We're not all sharing the same language. So um, I think going forward, we should actually we should definitely have some sort of shared communication. But uh, to to Katie's point, most of us have IR plans, uh, and in those plans, the the very first step is going to be uh, after identification. The very first step is going to be containment, yeah. uh, and then we kind of we work from there once we get it contained. Yeah, Eric, I think you said something that was also a challenge for a lot of orgs that I talked to, communication. In any incident response I've ever been part of, the communication is the tough part. Um, for example, right, we had a comment from Frank and uh, watching online about right them learning that certain systems they were running were running a end-of-life versions, right? Log4j version 1, not version 2, which reportedly wasn't vulnerable to this specific vulnerability. And so one, one of the things that's so tough is just getting accurate info, validating that info, and then communicating that, right? So Frank's team would have had to figure out, oh my God, log4j is vulnerable. Where do we have log4j? Cool, but then get into the details, right? Look at the documentation from Apache, from MITRE, right? From NIST on these CVEs. What is it actually vulnerable to? And there has been so much confusion throughout the community, right? And Alyssa mentioned this as well just in figuring out what freaking versions are vulnerable. And that's changed constantly. And so, right, again, this is something for later, but even now, orgs hopefully are getting into a good communications tempo, right, where they have a plan. Maybe it's every day we update the executives, but that communication is absolutely key and a huge challenge. Yeah, and, and to that point, uh, Katie, and actually one thing that Eric was saying as far as, you know, speaking different languages, one of the things that I find that we've accepted as sort of normal insecurity is that this is going to change as it evolves, and it's going to change constantly, right? So, I mean, we, we saw that Alyssa called it out with the version numbers, um, which I don't know how you keep track of them because it's, you know, it just keeps, every time I open my email, there's another one coming, you're like, oh, here we go. Um, but I mean, and it's the same thing for attacks. We've been seeing, um, you know, the research community has been seeing um, different attempts and different, you know, so we saw the initial really simple string and now we're starting to see string escapes and different things to get by those controls. And in InfoSec, we're sort of used to that basic functionality of, okay, we have one way of identifying it now, we know that's gonna change, um, but we just assume it so we don't talk about it. And that I think comes back to your point, Katie, around communication is that one of the best things you can do in any of these processes is make it crystal clear to everybody 
that you don't have all the information and that new information is going to be coming in constantly, which means the situation could change, which means the decision we make right now may not be valid in an hour from now because something changed. Now, hopefully it's not that bad, but like that is just a basic thing that I think we've internalized, but then fail to communicate out to the rest of the people. And it causes so many problems because of that. Yeah, so I, I want to jump in on the, the conversation about returning to basics, right? Because this is something I, I think bears more discussion in the security world, um, because there's no doubt that the basics are right. You know, there's a reason they're called the basics. But I, I think part of what we need to also acknowledge is how we as InfoSec people can be better about communicating that. Because let's face it, we've been talking about what are the basics for at least the two decades I've been in security. So, um, you know, and I, I actually brought this point up yesterday on Twitter with, when Chris Inglis shared out uh, the, uh, the White House's statement on not even related to Log4j specifically, it was how to, you know, avoid being breached over the holidays. And you read through this statement is the exact same things we've been saying forever. It's, yo, patch your stuff and, do, you know, cybersecurity awareness training and use MFA. And I'm just sitting there reading it. Like we've been saying this forever. Nobody's listening. And then he tweets it out and he says, well, my hope is that now organizations will start to make these a priority. And my, my question back to him, and I'm sorry, Chris, I know I was kind of snotty about it, but legitimately like, why now? Why is it going to change today? Because Log4j happened? What happened when Equifax got breached? What happened with SolarWinds? We mentioned before, it didn't change, right? So, you know, it, it's really incumbent on us in the security sphere to figure out our language better. You know, Katie caught me before when I was tossing out acronyms and just assuming that everybody knew what they were. And yeah, y'all didn't know that, but Katie's the one who woke me up and said, hey, <laughs> stop doing that. Um, but seriously, I mean, that, that's important. How do we talk about these things in a way that, isn't just, well, you must do this to be safe, but it encourages our business leaders to actually want to do these things because at the end of the day, we need to get them to invest in it. And so I think as we think about the basics and things that seem basic to us, don't seem so basic to others. And they seem like really big challenges that cost a lot of money and don't return revenue to them. So we need to start changing that mode and that speaks a lot to, you know, I think what we've been talking about here, a lot of this, mm -hmm. how do we get to that collaboration and more of that true, dare I say it, DevSecOps model where like everybody is working together for all the same shared purposes, not just security as a shared responsibility, but total shared responsibility. You know, those are the kinds of things that we, we've really got to start to embrace. We need to lead that charge from the security team. So quick comment uh, on the, I think you're absolutely right. Uh, and um, I think Sean and I have talked about this before for when we talk about communication and collaboration, right? I think it requires, uh, I think I'm going to lose some followers. It requires us to work with the business. It requires us to stop Ooh. doing the tool. Yeah. Sorry. I, I just lost like 200 followers. Uh, I didn't have that many to give, you know? So anyway, it requires us to work with the business. Uh, nobody wants to hear it. It's like, Oh, the business all they all they care about is money. Well, it's like, well, guess what? You should too. You, you're protecting their money because their money somehow through all of this stuff winds up in your pocket. So we as security professionals, uh, and I, I don't like to, I cover my ears when she said DevSecOps because I'm like, no. But you know, in 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 our reality, uh, we have to find a way to work with the business, and I think it starts. Uh, one of the things that I, I train I train analysts when they to do is to learn the business first. Before you touch any security tool in the stack, you need to be able to tell me if I if I if I if I give you a host name, you need to be able to tell me what team owns that host, who the point of contact is, uh, where it's located geographically, and you know, and and, and who the and who the ServiceNow assignment group is. Because you need to understand the business, and I think that helps with communications. Um, uh, Naomi uh, Buckwalter talks about this all the time, right? Of just being more friendly, right? Showing up to meetings. I'm I'm sorry, security professionals. We show Some, up to somebody said show up with donuts. Show up, <laughs> show show up to the meeting. You know what I mean? Show show up to the meeting when go to cab. <laughs> 
Oh, that, that's another 200. Go to your, I'm uh, sorry, your change advisory board meetings. Go. You because you know, you need to be in there and maybe don't say no on your first meeting, right? <laughs> like, the, you know, maybe go attend a couple on time, you know, maybe camera on, maybe put a smile on. And then you can start to say, hey, I really want to, I really want to see us get this done for the business. Instead of saying no, say, let's talk about how we can reduce risk. So, you know, when we talk about changing language, sometimes it's about changing the language that we use to talk to others. And um, Sean, to, to the point of this thing, like the whole part of it is we got to stop using fear, uncertainty and doubt. Right. Yep. And we have to do it. Journalists within InfoSec have to do it. And, you know, the media also has to stop selling it this way because it makes it difficult for us to be able to work with others. I love that you brought it there, Eric, because it I mean, it's in the title, right? No, no BS, no FUD. There's plenty of it out there. So I'm wondering, is there a single source of source of truth that people can look to? I know we we kind of latch on to social media and the people we know and love and respect. And and I've even seen threads where somebody I know is going off like way off the wall with some of their comments. I'm like, okay, I'm not sure how that's helpful. So how, how do we starting with the basics, looking at the the language we use? Um, the steps we take tactically translating that to how we communicate the importance of this and the program that we're going to put in place to address this with the business. I mean, there's a lot to unpack there, but how, how do we, how do we find a single source of truth? Does the media have a role in that, that, that game of presenting that single source of truth or do we see, no, sorry, vendors, but do we see a lot of that driven by vendors with, uh, with a clear objective to, ambulance chase or i don't know thoughts on any of any or all of this anybody so yeah as oh, a ahead, vendor Sorry. i'll jump in here and then I'll, I'll punt it to others um got bad news for you and everyone sean uh, i don't think there is a single source of truth um it, it sucks but um one thing that i've been telling people is to trust but verify right use the original sources Go to your go-to sources. I've shared out things from Microsoft. I trust their Threat Intelligence Center. They are excellent, right? I trust the MITRE CDE site, the Apache site. It's probably going to change, but I trust that source. Um, it's so easy. I've seen so many things over the past week where people are like, someone on Twitter said this. And right, I said, even if it's, even if it's me tweeting, even if you don't trust this tweet, don't trust it. But don't trust random people you don't know. I know it seems really basic, but... Get to that original source. And what is okay, though, and what I've been doing and what others have been doing, use Twitter or an RSS feed or right uh, media sources. I do think the media has a role in this. Um, use that, aggregate that as a tip. Hey, someone said that it looks like there's a new version right, that might be coming out. What's the source for that? Oh, it's something on GitHub. Let me go look at the original source. Um, right. Very early when this first came out last week, first thing my team did was try to reproduce it. Right. Double check. Hey, there's a proof of concept. Does that proof of concept actually work? Um, so, right. Know your trusted sources. And this I would even say this should be part of your instant response plan. Know the sources you can trust. But as you see these tips, go back to the original source, verify, validate it yourself, because otherwise you're going to be spreading this fear, uncertainty and doubt, which is the whole goal of us. Uh, being here is to avoid that, right? Yeah. Oh my God. I'm Perfect so on point. Perfect because... point. Yeah. Sorry. I was just agreeing. Everyone's excited. Yeah. Well, because I mean, first of all, how many of us in InfoSec, I'll, I'll pick on InfoSec Twitter for a minute. How many of us are out there, you know, complaining all the time about all the misinformation on social media, all the misinformation about elections and, you know, and, and dissing on people who buy into that stuff. Do you want to know how much damn misinformation I saw on Twitter from security people proclaiming to know the answers about Log4j? I mean, this came out in early on. People were out there talking about how Log4j 1x had the same vulnerability. No, it doesn't. So what does that do? That's damaging to this exact relationship we're talking about our, with our devs. So you go to the devs and you say, oh, we got to get rid of all versions of log4j less than 2.6 because they're all vulnerable to this. Well, then suddenly they're not dumb. They go and they look at the library. You know, they go into the repo and they look for the commits and they see when was Jindy added. Oh, Jindy was added in 2.0. Why do I have to fix 1.x? And now you've lost 
all of the credibility you had and you lost your ability to motivate. So, I mean, I know people who are using this to motivate the replacement of 1.x, but the smart ones aren't doing it by saying 1x is vulnerable to, to this thing. It, yeah, it's got this other thing with JMS Appender, I understand, and we, we found that later. But the reality is you, you, can, there, you can use this to your advantage without lying or spreading misinformation. There's just this weird thing. Like everybody wants to sound like they're the expert when one of these things happens. Like just, you know, how long would it have taken one of you security people who was screaming that Log4j1 was vulnerable to the same thing? How long would it have taken you to go out to GitHub, look at the, the commits on this thing and figure out when was Jindy added? Because clearly, if Jindy's not there, it's not vulnerable to this attack. Absolutely vulnerable to others, not vulnerable to this. So it just, it, it was weird. Yeah, and I, I think for me, that comes back to, you know, what Katie was saying earlier, what we've all been saying is, you know, don't panic. Like, take a breath and, you know, go double check the sources. Um, and, and, you know, if the difference between, you know, one minute and five minutes is not going to be the end of the world in a situation like this, right? And it only takes five minutes to check those commits. Um, and and the challenge, you know, as far as single source of truth, like there's a role for media because it raises awareness. Um, and and to be honest, even in the um, sort of, you know, the sensationalized media, I find the advantage is coming in as the pragmatist. So if they re if your board's reading an article saying like Log4j is the end of the world, it's not for the record for everyone watching, but like if they're reading an article saying this is horrible, you know, this is this Christmas is canceled because of Log4j, that's an opportunity for company like, okay, no, here's our here's our approach. We've planned for this. We have an IR plan. We've kicked it off. We've verified this. We've looked at that. We know things are going to change, and you walk through, and that is a great way to break through, you know, to those barriers. Like Eric said, as far as participating with the rest of the business. Coming in as the sane one is the last thing they expect from the security team, <laughs> but it's a wonderful position to be in. If you have you've taken that advice, you're not panicking, you're verifying those sources. And it is super hard because we get caught up in it, right? It's that emotional thing. And you're like, yes, yes, okay, there's this stuff going on. We want to help. We want to share. But, you know, it, it, you see a lot of that damage. And unfortunately, it's easily avoidable, avoidable but we, we don't avoid it somehow. And then this has gone in over and over again. So, oh, sorry, Sean, go ahead. No, you go. So first, absolutely agree with what Frank said. Uh, see what your ISACs are saying. Absolutely. Uh, you know, uh, in the threat intel community, we obviously we have trusted sources that we can go to. Uh, and I, I want to provide a different perspective um, as somebody who, you know, made the a transition into cybersecurity or, or InfoSec. Um, you know, after having a career in networking, um, I got into the industry when we had things like Discord, right? So for me, Discord was amazing. I mean, tw Twitter was the place I went for all the memes, right? <laughs> but Discord was where I went for help. And uh, I think Alyssa made a point that I think is, is important for cybersecurity across the board. Everybody doesn't have to be an expert, right? I have no problem going on and say, hey, uh, we, we talked about the the pup that was going around uh, the, in the in the different iterations of it. I went on Twitter and said, hey, is anybody seeing this? You know, that and that was the thing. It's why we have it's when you think about it. Uh, one of my mentors told me the reason we have things like Stack Exchange and why we have great answers, why we have a, a plethora of answers is because somebody was a, well, somebody was brave enough to ask the question in the first place. Uh, everybody doesn't have to be the expert. Uh, you know, I've never answered a question on a forum. Go to them every day because there are brave people who ask questions and then there are other people who give good information. So, um, you know, definitely your ISACs. Um, and and you, you have to forgive me, Katie. Absolutely forgot what ISACs stands for. <laughs> you know, it's one of those things with acronyms. Information but, um, Sharing and Analysis Center. There we go. And they probably have one in your industry. This, this is not a this is not a paid promotion for ISEX. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I think that, you know, uh, Kate, as Katie said, using your tribe, your community, start there or, or actually start with whatever your organization's formal threat intel uh, threat intel process is. If you have one, uh, that is um, I think we sometimes we take it for granted. That's very much a capability of a mature security program. Uh, so not everybody has one. Uh, but if you have one, uh, follow follow that. Uh, and then from there, use your community, use your ISACs, and, and use those trusted sources. Uh, because I, I think 
I don't know if everybody else, I was sort of impressed at the way we, we, we sort of came together on this. Uh, just, I mean, like I said, for a lot of us, we're in the same sort of Twitter sphere. We came together really well on this. Uh, so yeah, I mean, use your, use your tribe, use your community. Yeah. And then to, there's a comment from Matt, uh, listening in or watching on watching online here talking about, uh, basically just general awareness, right? Can we get folks who may not be aware or interested or perhaps what vulnerabilities are and risk is, um, do events like this help or do they further promote the, the fear and, and panic and chaos? What do you, what do you think? Really quick. If we use it to teach, it helps. If we try to scare them into thinking the way that we think, it makes things worse. I'm going to give a quick answer. I think um, I think uh, Alyssa is probably better qualified than me to give that answer. But generally speaking, if, 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 if we use it to teach and we say, hey, this is the sort of thing we're talking about, it helps. If we try to scare them into saying, this is why you should listen to us or this is why we should have more access or more authority or more decision-making power, it goes the other way. Yeah, I mean, that's what I was, I'm actually just going to expand on exactly what you said, because you kind of went where I was headed to. And that is this by it left to itself, I don't think it will. In fact, actually, I think it'll be more damaging to how we handle this in the future, because you're going to have a lot of executives are going to be looking at the expense that went into responding to this and everything else. And they're going to go hyper the other direction if we don't, you know, if we don't manage that narrative. So you're going to have those executives are going to look at this and say, well, well, we got to get open source out of our environment. We can't have any open source or silly things like that. And then they're going to hear back from the business that, well, if you do that, you're basically turning us off. We're shutting down at that point and then nothing will happen. It'll be the age old thing. So what's really important for us in the security world is to manage that narrative. And we have to be ahead of the game in that, right? I mean, like we need to be the ones on the forefront right now to leverage the fact that we have an opportunity here to use this. But again, you know, first of all, as Eric said, not with fear and uncertainty and doubt, not with, you know, scare tactics and woe is us, not with, you know, oh, we're going to reduce risk by X, Y, Z. Because, yeah, it's a great discussion, but it still doesn't motivate executives. What we need to do is take a very consultative approach and say, Here's what we need to do to keep the business running and to keep innovation spreading and growing and doing all the things we do from a business, but still be able to address the security concerns that we ran into here. Here's how we need to address that. That's the narrative we need to bring from the security side. It, it's got to be business aware because otherwise it just turns into the same story. And like I said before, with the, the statement from the White House, it'll be us doing the same thing again, just screaming the same things from the rooftops that we've already been screaming into the void for how long and getting no results. We can't keep doing the same thing. We have to be smarter about this. And I think we ha everybody has to go through something like this to know how to deal with something like this, right? So I'm, I'm going to bring it down as far as you want to take it technically. I think folks listening can, can handle it, um, certainly more than I can, but I'm here giving you the platform to help people listening what's how do we cut through the noise get past the fud what's real with log 4j specifically in terms of what's possible in terms of the the threat and the exposure that it brings what is not possible that we've seen floating around that people may be trying to address that they shouldn't be and if definitely want to lo look at log 4j here but if you want to open it up to general open source software um, we can look at that but let's fo focus on log 4j first so hey, real I'll, quick. I'll uh, oh, sorry, Katie, because yeah, go you're going to say something valuable. Somebody just texted me and said they think it's Log Forge. Are we saying that wrong? Do we have bad intel? Oh man, we're not. We're not getting into this. Okay, sorry. My, my right, colleague Mac Graber is, is Log Forge. Like he likes the French accent. I don't know. Somebody know. said it's Fabergé. Log Forge. All right. Sorry. Sorry. Yeah. I didn't mean to derail it. I was just like, wrong. Oh, here we are talking about trusted intel and we can't even get the name right <laughs> sorry go ahead katie it's all good um so what i was gonna say is uh first off i don't think it's realistic to expect that everyone in the world is going to immediately patch this first of all um so you know i don't know how technical we want to get i just brought up my colleagues notes because matt graber is is my trusted colleague who explains how this stuff works um so I think what is true, right, that adversaries can have some adversary supplied input 
that will exploit this vulnerability. We know this. What I think the nuance we need to make clear to our consumers and stakeholders is that this is not single-handedly going to bring down your entire network and cause ransomware and stealing of data, right? These things happen as part of a chain. And so, yes, as Alyssa said, great advice. Try to mitigate where you can. Try to patch where you can. But remember that, right, adversaries, after they exploit this vulnerability, there are going to be other things that they do after that, right? Um, for example, there was a uh, blog today from um, VK, uh, Vitaly Kremens, on Conti ransomware and how, right, they exploit this vulnerability in vCenter to move laterally. I clarified with him, because Conti ransomware exploiting this sounds terrifying, that, right, that was actually in their lateral movement phase. After the initial access, a bunch of execution, cobalt strike, other stuff, that is the same stuff that we detect as ransomware precursors already. So I think that's one thing that maybe people just coming into this don't realize. Yes, this is the initial um, in ingress, rather, but it's not the full attack chain. So that's what I'd offer. I I want to, yeah, I agree. Um, we, we, you know, we, we laugh about it, we joke about it, and there was a lot of talk about it. I think for a majority of the InfoSec community, we were talking about it so much because of the extra work we had to do. Uh, but to Katie's point, it's, it's not the end of the world. Uh, you know, this, uh, this is, uh, if we're, if we're looking at it from an, a miter standpoint, this is, you know, potentially the threat there is initial access, right? Uh, there still have to be a lot of other things that happen before we get to exploit or before we get to, you know, some sort of data exfiltration or, or, or you know, or action on objective here. Uh, so I think uh, that that's one thing. Um, I want to I want to get, you know, talk to the ops people specifically. Uh, here is where we have to really uh, start to think about the basics, right? Uh, David Bianco's pyramid of pain, right? Understanding uh, what the, the IOCs that we're looking at, you know, uh, and, and figuring out what's valuable to build our operations around, um, you know, where, from where I sit, you know, detection is detection was the name of the game once we were able to get containment. How do we detect this thing? Um, you know, and to, to what uh, I think Mark was talking about how this thing kept changing. I mean, the list of IP addresses. Whoa. Whoa, I feel bad for anybody who's trying to do this at like at the firewall level. I mean, fire, I'm sure firewall teams are still working um, just because, uh, you know, there was the list of IP addresses. So um, I think that we have to understand what this thing does. First of all, is, um, you know, it's 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 not if, if you're vulnerable, it's not as noisy going in, but they still got to get that reverse shell out of there. Right. So that, you know, you, you probably have other stuff in place that keeps it from going too far. But you do want to use this as a as as a as Alyssa said, go ahead and patch, go ahead and get things done. But this this isn't going to uh, and this is, I guess, where we come to the no BS. This isn't going to take down, you know, your tower. Right. Um, if if you know, you know, if, if you have other defense in depth in place, if you have other layers in place, right? Because like I said, this thing's super noisy coming back out. I mean, it's coming back out in clear text. You, it's super noisy coming back out of there. So, you know, I, I think that's one of the things where we have to sort of level set reality and, you know, really understand that, you know, this isn't, uh, this isn't D-Day for, for computers, right? Or, uh, Maybe D-Day for Java won't give my opinions on Java because they may be watching. <laughs> but, uh, you know, we, we do have to be realistic and we do have to get away from the fear. Fear is a tactic of, of communicating anything to, to the business and uh, and even to each other as technical professionals. Yeah, I think, you know, I, I just to echo part of that, I think that one of the challenges that we constantly have as security professionals is getting an accurate handle on risk. So when we see a vulnerability like this, it gets rated with a CVSS, so a common vulnerability scoring system. I think that's what it actually stands for. The scores we assign to these things um, with yet another acronym, because why not? Um, when these two, exactly, just keep adding acronyms until people stop listening. Um, the, uh, the, the, these two ones were nine out of 10 and 10 out of 10. Now, the reason for that was because we were seeing them actively exploited, or at least people trying to do that and they allowed remote code execution over the network, right? So they automatically hit these high scoring marks. But as we've been discussing, the perspective, um, you know, is what are they actually doing with it? And the challenge is when you look at risk, risk is the potential impact, uh, impact of something uh, happening and the likelihood of that thing happening combined together. 
we're generally pretty good in security about figuring out the potential impact, right? We have earned our tinfoil hats for a good reason. The problem is we're not great at the probability piece. And so we almost automatically assume this could be devastating, therefore it will be devastating, therefore we need to react. And as we've talked about here, yeah, it could be, but we haven't seen that yet. And so the likelihood right now is relatively low, which is a good thing. That gives us time to go through the motions, to go through the basics, you know, to bring it back to what Alyssa was saying, to go through these basics um, and work with the business to, to, to actually mitigate, uh, or to fix the root cause of this issue. The challenge is communicating that and working through that in a logical manner. And I get it. As a, from a risk perspective, we never want to leave holes open because you never know what could happen, right? Something bad could happen. And we've seen that repeatedly where in competitions like Pwn to Own, which is a um, researcher, uh, researchers show up and try to crack the latest versions of a whole bunch of popular things. And if they do it, they get, they get prizes, right? A great competition to encourage security research. But one of the trends we've seen over the last few years is that the winners have been using lower risk things to get bigger access. So instead of one big hole, they've been threading through multiple small ones because they were left open. And that gets in the back of our heads in, as security folks. And we need to add, force ourselves, literally force ourselves to maintain the perspective that when we show up, if we do show up at CAB, we're not the number one priority. The business is the number one priority. We're one of many competing priorities that needs to be balanced. And I think that's super hard to do because we're getting out of the technical side and we're purely in the human side. And that's where we all sort of fall down. So I think, you know, the, the, to wrap this back to the original question, this could be bad. We've seen no evidence of horrific things happening, but it's a smart idea to close up this hole as fast as you can because the potential is there, but you have time. So go through the process. Don't skip the steps. Work those basics and you'll get a good result. I love it. Take, take the time. Uh, speaking of time, I'm sad that we're coming close to the end of this. Um, we, we have an hour. That means a few minutes left for those joining. I put up a comment from from Frank, only good Java resides in my mug. It's, it's a bit funny, but I'm going to, uh, it was in, in relation to a comment Eric made, I think, uh, to kick, kick the job. I like off, you, but, Frank. I like you, Frank. <laughs> but I'm, I'm going to play on this and, and I'm going to ask you each to comment on what I'm about to say as we wrap here. Java, we look at that and we all think technology, right? And a particular part of our stack. And I can say, okay, is that good? Is one element of that Java good and all of it? And then there's the rest of it, but that's all tech oriented. So from each of you, take this technology stack, operations, detection, protection, response, um, business. What's, what's good? What, what's the good thing we can take from this conversation from this past week, given what we've uh, experienced? Listen. Oh, sorry. So, all right. So I'll throw this out there real quick. Um, being able to actually recognize what's good. Um, honestly, this is something I think is really important. Um, you know, in security, we're always afraid to tell people when they did something right because we're worried it's going to cause them to get complacent. But you just had a whole bunch, if you're like me anyway, if you work in an organization that develops software, you just had a whole bunch of devs and SREs get all spun up, your change management people, everything else to address this. Look at what they did to address it. Look at what made things better, faster, easier, and compliment them on that. For me, it was, you know, I mentioned SCA before, the fact we were able to get that report so quickly and they had that tied into their pipeline. The fact that their pipelines are efficient and well-structured enough that we were easily able to push tons and tons and tons of deploys across all of our different apps. Don't be afraid to tell them that. That's all good stuff. And the more you, you tell them that, you actually encourage them to do more of the good thing. So that's my... Um, I say the good that came from this is um, learning learning to work together. Uh, Alyssa's point is almost exactly my point. Uh, you saw dev teams, you saw networking teams. Uh, dare I say it? You saw vendors, ops teams, uh, the business all working together uh, to to make sure uh, that that we were in a good place. And you know, as far as right now, I think we're in as good a place as any. So, uh, learning to work together, I think across uh, different disciplines, I think was a big a big win for us. Yeah, I think um, one of the good things is we knew about this vulnerability. Someone responsibly disclosed it. 
we were able to take action, right? And I think that, you know, one of my colleagues commented, hey, at the end of this, log4j is going to be really secure code, right? And so a lot of people lose, lose track of the fact that the fact that we're identifying these vulnerabilities and responding to them as, as a community is better than not knowing about them as much as it sucks sometimes. Yeah, I would say for me, it's really the fact that, you know, this is, uh, I can guarantee pretty much every professional has had a conversation with somebody they hadn't talked to before, right? And so it's opening up those laneways, um, which are super important. And sometimes it takes a forcing function like this. I wish it did, but sometimes it does. Um, and you have that conversation. And I would say, don't let it go to waste. Um, make sure you keep that connection alive uh, because we do need to work together. We're all working towards the same goal. Whatever that goal is for your organization, you're all there for the same reason. You may have different perspectives, but yeah, I think that that's a huge one. It's just that conversation. I love it. I love this community. I love this group. Alyssa, Katie, Eric, and Mark, thank you so much. Thanks for those joining us online and actually uh, contributing and participating in the conversation. Thanks to uh, my co-founder, Marco, lurking in the background, helping me out here. Uh, really good conversation, important conversation. Thank you all for joining us. Uh, stay tuned. Uh, on the show notes, we'll have some links for folks, uh, linking to some things that I captured as I prepared for this, and I'm sure the host or the panelists will have some things to share as well. So thanks, everybody. Peace out. Stay safe. Keep well. Bye-bye. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Redefining Security Podcast. If you learned something new and this podcast made you think, then share ITSPMagazine.com with your friends, family, and colleagues. If you represent a company and wish to associate your brand with our conversations, sponsor one or more of our podcast channels. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey. You can always find us at the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Insights, solutions, and networking all come together at RSA Conference. Join a global cybersecurity community at rsaconference.com forward slash ITSP MAG 24.